episode 27 of Strange Brow Radio. I'm your host, Tobe Johnson. Today's guest of Strange Familiar's podcast is Timothy Renner. If you haven't checked out his podcast, well, you're going to hear from him. And I think you're going to go check out his podcast because it's a great podcast. And there's a lot more he does than podcast. We're going to talk about all that. Also, I want to tell you a little bit about our weekend that we had last weekend. I guess that would be last weekend, yes. I'll give you a little scoop on what's going on. First, our sponsor, Feral by Aaron at Etsy.com. You need to go to Etsy. You need to see Feral by Aaron. You spell that E-R-Y-N. She sells shaman-inspired smudge fans, rattles, and drums. Beautiful drums. Amazing drums. And there's a story about a drum. Someday I'll have to tell it to you. All right. Thank you for joining us. Be right back with Timothy Renner. Strange Familiars. Timothy Renner of Strange Familiars Podcast is our guest today. We spoke for the better part of an hour about all things strange, and he has no shortness of it. And sometimes these strange things take a dark turn, but as Timothy will describe, even in the darkness, the curiosity looms. And I guess I know how that particular itch needs to be scratched. So we'll talk to Timothy about Strange Familiars podcast. Also, please go check out his website and check out Dark Hollow Arts. He just sent me a magnificent care package, and I'll post the, uh, the gifts in kind here. So be looking for a reciprocal package here, Timothy. All right, enough about what's in the mailbox. I give to you Timothy Renner. All right, today's guest, Timothy Renner. How are you doing? Doing great. How are you? Good. It's good to have you here. Timothy Renner is the host and the founder of another strange podcast, Strange Familiars, and the author of several books, books that many of the audience on Strange Brow should get a hold of, definitely get a hold of. And, you know, I first found you just dialing through other podcasts that came up with the word strange within them. Um, there was also a link to, to Bigfoot right off the bat. And I think that's kind of the crossroads that we'll get to when we go on here for, you know, the next hour at least. Um, so I, I expect we'll broach that topic once or twice, don't you? I think so, yeah. <laughs> common ground. A common ground, Yes. Um, in particular, the, uh, the common ground that, um, you, let's just inform the audience here, some back channel stuff. You and I have spoken on and off, uh, Facebook messaging back and forth here about some common ground as it relates to this phenomena. And I'm always curious to do that with people that are having similar activity and people that aren't, um, cause the Bigfoot paradigm is blossoming into other areas and these little root systems that Bigfoot takes you into seem unrelated, but yet you feel uh, that the phenomena has all these paranormal roots as well. Why don't you 
talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, this is just my experience. I'm a big folklore guy, so I read a bunch of you know old folklore. At the moment, I'm you know I've been reading a lot of European folklore and Norse folklore and stuff for the um, the book I'm currently working on uh, with Josh Cutchin. It's actually two volumes about uh, weirdness and the Bigfoot phenomenon. But uh, the the more I read about these old folkloric accounts of of these different things that that kind of sound like Bigfoot, these wild men and trolls and these various big hairy things that people have seen all over the world, they sure do act a lot like Bigfoot, or maybe I should say Bigfoot sure does act like folkloric wild men an awful lot. So it's kind of led me down this path of, uh, you know, kind of away from, from the ape in the woods theory. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and leave that possibility out there. Someone could ever, ever absolutely prove it. I'll, you know, it just makes my job easier. But for me, I feel like there's just, there's something more to the phenomenon, um, you know, something extra. It just doesn't seem like any other animal. Let, let's say that. And so you're, you're digging into Norse, you're digging into European folklore. And so you must have gone down the Grindel rabbit hole with Beowulf. Is that your opinion of what Grindel actually is? I mean, you know, it's <laughs> a little bit, it's, it's possible, you know, it, it's, it's like it's talking. It's like all these things are in the same family. It's hard to say mm-hmm. yes. You know, they, he was definitely talking about a Bigfoot. I mean, that that was ostensibly a work of fiction. So you know, we don't really know how much is based on you know, like an actual hero or or something like that, and and an actual creature and so forth. But uh, I'm try. I am actually drawing a blank on the actual quote I pulled for the book. But I did I did pull an actual quote uh, from Grendel for the book that was that was incredibly appropriate. Um, <laughs> To, to the Bigfoot phenomenon, and uh, I'm just absolutely drawing a blank on it right now. No, no, that's, that's yeah, that's interesting. And I think it's probably worth other people's time to look into these other things like trolls and uh, the mention of Grendel and uh, these other things, uh, the Green Man, all these theories here of, of Sasquatch existing long before Native Americans had talked about them through oral tradition. But you talk about a great many things uh, besides Sasquatch, including this plaid man phenomenon, which has taken off on its own. And really my only familiarity with any mysterious person in plaid was through an author by the name of Kirk Sigurdsson, who referred to these men in black type characters in Northern California that showed up to him in a Bigfoot area. And he called them the men in plaid instead of men in black. But you're talking about something that seems more yeah it's, it's an archetype of some kind of harbinger or spirit right yeah although i have many many accounts of these uh at least at least it's one guy in plaid showing up to uh talk to bigfoot witnesses and he certainly seems to fulfill the role of the men in black in the, in the bigfoot world um my co-author of in the new book josh cutchin he is uh suggested that it is the, the, the rustic equivalent of the men in black, you know, so for the UFO people, they kind of manifest as this, you know, very technological, you know, the nice suits and so forth. And for the, the more rustic Bigfoot phenomenon, they manifest as this, you know, big biker guy in a plaid shirt that a lot of people describe. Uh, so, you know, that's definitely a thing. And it's really made me wonder if there is some kind of connection between these other entities in plaid that people are seeing in just weird and mysterious circumstances. And I did have a witness on recently, he described an encounter 
that his father told him about, which sounded for all the world like a Bigfoot encounter. And this just blew my mind. Uh, this was in uh, uh, Scranton or just, just outside of Scranton, Pennsylvania, I believe. And he said, uh, you know, he was talking Bigfoot and he and his father had had a, a possible Bigfoot encounter as well. They didn't, it was a class B kind of encounter. They heard a bunch of stuff and heard footsteps and, and uh, I believe some screams and stuff. But, and his father was telling him about this other encounter when he was young. And he said uh, he was, you know, had been in a car with his friend and, and it was a double date. So his, his wife or wife-to-be and, and, a, and a couple that was friends of theirs. And the, the two men were standing outside the car and they heard something coming, approaching them, real heavy footsteps kind of running down the road. And it was getting closer and closer. And they thought, well, this can't be good. So they got in the car and uh, started to peel out and something lifted the back end of the car up. And then, uh, you know, for all the world, this sounds like a Sasquatch. In fact, I've collected other Sasquatch encounters where they've lifted the back ends of cars up uh, locally. But in any case, uh, he, the guy asked his father if he saw anything. And his father said, I looked in the rear view mirror and all I saw was something wearing a red plaid shirt. So it's, you know, this bizarre, you know, everything else about it sounds like a Sasquatch encounter. But when he looks in the rear view mirror, he, he just sees something with a, a red plaid shirt. It's, it's, so I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on with the plaid thing or the check shirt thing, but it's, uh, it's somehow woven in to all this. Yeah, I, re- I remember that uh, he saved that kind of as a Easter egg towards the inner the end of the interview there, um, if I'm recalling the the guy yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't tell me about it until <laughs> until the interview, which was great. That was that was wonderful storytelling on his part. Yeah. So you're, I mean, you're really just saying that these things are giving you an an image that they're familiar with or that you're familiar with to kind of come closer to ingratiate them cells closer to you and bring uh, a somewhat of a familiar look with a very bizarre message? I'm wondering if that's the case. Like uh, another speculation we've had is, you know, if, if your Bigfoot is the wild man, you know, these, these are also these, these guys in flannel or, or check shirts. They seem to be sort of half wild men. They're, they're woodsmen. Mm-hmm. Often they're seen with axes. So, you know, sometimes lumberjacks and so forth. And are they kind of the intermediary form in some way? I mean, this is, it's all speculation on my part, but I, you know, it seems to fulfill another aspect of this wild man archetype. Now, your show, if anybody hasn't listened to Strange Familiars, uh, your show strikes a mood as soon as your um, overall show starts up with the music, which I think you compose, the artwork you do yourself. And you're all self-funded. You basically, you know, birthed, a child here called strange familiars and it's your baby. And, um, talk to people about the show overall and, um, how you would describe it. Well, I think when I started, I really was only trying to do like a documentary version of my first book. And I don't know if I succeeded or failed at that. Um, but it very quickly kind of evolved into this other thing and, and it started to take on a life of its own. I think probably in the first year, if you'd have asked me if I was going to continue, I would have you know, told you, I don't know, or possibly even know, but uh, over the course of the, you know, the three years or so that I've been doing it, I've just absolutely grown to love it because it has kind of developed its own s- story. This, this flannel man thing. I never asked for that. It's something I just kind of brought up one time. It's something my wife saw. 
and I mentioned it. And then I started getting other people telling me, you know, I've seen this, I've seen this. And, and it's just snowballed and become part of the story of the podcast. This other thing that people are seeing weird guys dressed like bunny rats. I mean, it's completely bizarre and silly sounding, but it's so interesting to me. And, you know, that these things just keep popping up where people say, yep, yep, I've seen that. And then, uh, you know, I'll just start getting more and more encounters. And in a way, so that in this way, I think the podcast has kind of taken on a life and a story of its own. And, and that's really kind of made me love it. So I'm, I'm kind of, I, I guess, uh, you know, uh, trying to pilot the ship, but it's, you know, we're in a current that's, uh, that's taken us where it wants us to go, I think. What's the most common thing people re- reach out to you to report? Uh, I get by far more of these, I call them like bedroom invaders or nighttime invaders. It's kind of sleep paralysis related stuff where people will see an entity after sleep paralysis. And, you know, for the most part, they're insistent that they were hundred percent awake. So it's not like, uh, they were still dreaming, but it's, and they, this can be a variety of things from that flannel man to, you know, shadow people to things that look like squids made of ink you know, if they say it looks like ink dropped in water and, uh, you know, all manner of things we'll see, but that's by far the most common thing, you know, thing I get at this point. Hmm. Okay. We touched on something there with the squid phenomena. Maybe we can get back to that one. Talk about the movie, the arrival. Um, I think that's the name of it, uh, with, uh, Jeremy Renner and another Renner actually. Uh, <laughs> and then one of their main, uh, you know, the aliens there were, you know, these squid-like looking creatures that wrote with black ink. And this, I've heard this term before, in particular, my girlfriend uses the term black ink to describe certain types of phenomena. But um, yeah, interesting to think of that maybe they smuggled these ideas through, you know, other people that have described an entity that looked like a squid. Yeah, I think, I mean, pop culture seems to resonate in some ways I, I mean you know i haven't seen it I've, n- I've never watched twin peaks but a ton of people told me there's some kind of plaid man flannel man type entity you know type guy in uh one of the twin peaks seasons i'm not even like i said i haven't seen it so i'm sure you know but i'm not sure which season it's in but uh you know and it's definitely like these things kind of resonate through pop culture and and uh we talk about it a good bit in the book uh just how things will come up in uh i think uh, there's a essentially a woman in white in uh bobcat goldthwaite's bigfoot movie um you know and we, we talk about these women in white and bigfoot connections i'm not even sure if it's in, intentional but uh mm-hmm. he, has, he has one in there you know so it's it's very very interesting how you know pop culture will kind of echo these things intentionally or not i think sometimes they just kind of pick up on a vibe yeah, are they creating like a, a you know a thought form by writing about these uh, you know these entities of some kind? Is that uh, is that what we've created by imagining these things? These imaginations actually become physical things that we see. I've wondered that, and I've wondered how much I am perpetuating that. You know, like so you know, not a lot of people talked about this flannel man thing before we did it. They did. We we weren't the first by any means. You know. Uh, John Keel had talked about it. People had talked about it before, but I don't think anyone talked about it as much as we have, at least not in recent times. And uh, I've often wondered, like, are we perpetuating something by doing this? Are we going to, you know, are we stirring up the phenomenon? And uh, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that because still most of our reports are people saying, you know, I saw this in 1997. I saw mm-hmm. this in 2001, whatever it was. You know? 
so it's happening before or they're recording you know seeing it before we were ever talking about it all right my audience probably hasn't heard your wife's encounter with a flannel man uh can you relate that story yeah yeah and it's really interesting there's a there's a little note of backstory that that i think i've told once or twice so I'll, I'll tell the whole story uh this happened one night in hold on she's right here what year 95 or so, she said. And I had been over a friend's house. And uh, the interesting thing was I had, uh, I had only ever told my wife, we weren't married at the time, but you know, we, we ended up marrying each other. I'd only ever told her about my abduction experiences. Um, and uh, this was the first time I'd ever told anyone else. We were over my friend's house and I told him uh, which was a big deal because I never really opened up about it. This was, you know, the nineties and anytime you even mention alien abduction, you immediately get, you know, Oh, were you anally probed? And, you know, it became a big joke. Um, so it's the first night I ever talked to, to anyone, but her about it. And, uh, we went back to her place and slept in her childhood bedroom. Uh, she always slept on the floor. She didn't like sleeping on the bed because she thought she had dreams about things being under the bed. In this bedroom, when she was a child, she had reported seeing uh, uh, black dogs with red eyes, which she called demon dogs. And uh, later on, as we've tied many, many flannel man accounts, people have also seen them either with or at separate times with uh, these black red-eyed dogs. But in any case, on this night, uh, we went to sleep and uh, she woke me up screaming. And uh, she had seen, standing at our feet, a man in would appear to be blue jeans and a red flannel shirt. He, she says she's, she thinks he was holding an ax, but she wasn't hundred percent sure because he, he looks so much like a lumberjack. She doesn't at this time recall if she kind of placed that ax in his hand in her memory, just because he looked like he should be holding an ax. But uh, I seem to remember, you know, pretty early on her telling me she, he was holding an ax and um, he looked to her like he'd been caught. He looked surprised. He didn't look uh, angry. He didn't look aggressive. He looked like, like, oh, you, you see me, I'm, I'm caught. And uh, she screamed and he just disappeared. And uh, I just thought, I felt guilty because I thought she was having some kind of nightmare because in, in my abduction experience, um, things were standing over me uh, that I talk about. And uh, I had thought, oh, I just, she had this bad dream because I told, you know, she heard me tell my abduction experience you know, earlier in the evening, but later, years later, I was on the internet in some forum about weird stuff. And somebody mentioned this, this flannel man entity that other people had seen. And I actually just made a note of it in the back of my head. I was like, Oh, wow, that's, you know, Allison's seen that. And I didn't tell her about it for years that she'd seen something other people had seen probably until strange familiars. I brought it up one time. And then I told her, I was like, yeah, other people have seen this. And she's been along for the ride ever since. Cause she's, she's kind of a skeptic. She's, you know, to her, it was just a dream until we got all of these other reports where people are just seeing very, very similar things. By talking about your abduction experience, do you feel like you created this moment where the plaid man came back in as a thought form? I, I, I really truly wonder if that's not part of the whole equation of the evening. Uh, it, it really feels important because like I said, it was only the second time I'd ever told anybody about it. So 
until I realized it was a thing for years. I kind of held this guilt, like, oh, I gave her this bad dream because I told the story. You know, it's only the second mm -hmm. time I've ever told it. And, uh, you know, I gave her this bad dream. And then later on, when I read that, you know, other people have seen this, I went, wow. And then over time, I've just thought, wow, is, is there some sort of connection here? Yeah. So, and he's only shown himself to her once. Yes. She's, uh, yeah. she's relying on this to, to be, most people only see him once and she keeps telling me, well, I won't see him again. Uh, people only see him once. So uh, that's not hundred percent true. Some people have seen him multiple times, but uh, she's relying on the, the most people only see him once because she does not want to see him again. Now you painted uh, a plaid man. Was it her plaid man? Uh, how close was that? Okay, she said um, he looked more like Yukon Cornelius, the guy he saw from from uh, from uh, the uh, Rudolph movie. So I guess a little a, a little uh, buffer than than the guy I, I drew. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, he was a short, stout little guy in the claymation reindeer mm -hmm. movie. Yeah. So your abduction experience, uh, you talk a lot about sleep paralysis. You always seem to go there. Uh, with your witnesses to talk about that. That's what do you think that's indicative of sleep paralysis? Um, I think it's a kind of like a side effect of all this. I don't think it's, uh, you know, a lot of people say use it as the explanation. Oh, you were just having sleep paralysis. At this point, I think it's, it's a side effect of paranormal activity. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's related. It's not, it's not the cause of it and uh, paranormal activity isn't necessarily the cause of sleep paralysis, but I think it's a related side effect. Um, at least that's one of the theories I'm kind of working with. And is it something that you still go through? I haven't in a long time. I, mm -hmm. I, I started feeling it uh, not since probably my thirties. I'm, I'm in my forties now. Um, about a year ago I started getting it and, uh, I actually, um, uh, I, I prayed myself out of it. I woke up uh, saying the Hail Mary into my pillow face down. It was a very, very bizarre experience. But, uh, you know, there's a saying in the UFO world, uh, you can pray the grays away. And uh, it kind of is absolutely true. It's really weird. Uh, faith and belief does have a part to play in this. And I'm not even that much of a religious person. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not, you know, thumping the Bible. Um, I'll be the first one to tell you that, that uh, it, doesn't seem to matter what religion it is. Uh, so, you know, Wiccans have as much, uh, you know, success as Jewish people, as Christians, as Muslims. Uh, it, which tells me that uh, not, it doesn't even say, like a lot of people, it's a very tender subject. You can tell I'm kind of dancing around a little bit about it. <laughs> right. Because I've been beat up in comment sections about it. I have to be careful about the way I say it. I don't think it indicates that all religions are true necessarily, nor do I think it indicates that any one religion is, is right or, or wrong. I think it only indicates that there's a belief component to all this, that somehow belief plays a part. Uh, so I, people get very, very invested in this, and especially if they've had success. And to them, that confirms their religion. If you're, if you're a Christian and you pray and this stuff goes away, yeah, aha, I'm right. My religion's right. It worked. So they get very upset if they hear that, well, it worked for Wiccans too. It worked for you know Jewish people too. It worked for Muslims. And people get very upset at me thinking I'm saying the religion's wrong. It's absolutely not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that I think belief plays somehow, there's some kind of component of belief that's wrapped up in this uh, that you know maybe not necessarily points to religion, but to a, a form of spiritual belief. 
Yeah, well, I, I thought that's probably what you were going to say as far as the haters uh, writing you comments. You know, if you think back to, oh gosh, all of the scenarios where people uh, have long-term contact with, with greys generally. Uh, well, first of all, let's talk about contact. What is contact before we go down this road? When you start talking about abduction experiences, now abductees or contactees, you know, they're experiencing something more than they're being taken. So the idea that you would pray over something that is almost a form of enlightenment now by being taken away, where are you at with the, I guess, the political correct version of having contact versus abduction? Yeah, I guess I, I, I guess I would say, I, well, I don't know. See, it's really hard for me to, to weigh in because I, I'm at the point now where I believe all of this is an out-of-body experience. Anytime I've experienced uh, these, these grays and these other entities, I believe they're out-of-body experiences. I don't believe I ever left my bed. Um, so, well, wait, Timothy. What about people, the spouses that turn over and say you, you were, you weren't there? So I went looking for you. I don't. I, do I can only speak to my experiences. Okay. The, gotcha. the only way I can make sense of my own experiences <clears throat> is to treat them as out of body experiences. I, okay. I can't. Like I woke up in the desert one time. I can't believe I was in the desert. You know, I just, I just can't believe because I was in my bed. You know, a, a, a minute or two later. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, a, a lot of things seem to point to, to out-of-body experiences, at least with what I have experienced. Um, you know, I, I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe I have been taken. I don't know. You know, I, I really don't know. But um, Is that more comfortable for you to, to think that? Is that part of it? I don't know, because really, if something can pull me out of body, that's almost scarier than something just being able to take my physical body. Mm-hmm. Um, have Unless you had, I'm, have you had I'm missing, out, I'm sorry, <laughs> go ahead. What were you going to say? Unless I'm already out of body, you know, in some mm-hmm. sort of like dream state or something. And then, and then I'm encountering these things. I don't know, but the, the idea that something could come and take whatever, you know, whatever aspect of me is out of body is almost more frightening than, than just someone, you know, kidnapping me for lack of a better word. Right. Have you, do you have any missing time experiences that you would say kind of cloud that possible theory? I do. Um, I was just talking about this earlier. Uh, again, this happened with my wife before we were married. We went for a walk in the woods one day and we walked in early in the day and we, we didn't follow a trail. We just kind of walked through the woods and we came to a clearing, which uh, by all, uh, you know, now I know this to be by definition would have been like a fairy circle, basically this perfectly green clearing in the woods of uh, of beautiful lush grass in a perfect circle. And we sat there in the sun and, and, you know, we were, we were young at the time. We did the stuff that young people do. And uh, a, a young, uh, very, very uh, young fawn walked up and walked around the circle several times. I want to say at least three times, just literally walked around the outside of the circle and uh, I remember being almost freaked out by it and kind of like wanting to shoo it away. And I remember my wife stopped me. She said, no, 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 it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And uh, it, it went away. I walked away or, you know, went off in, into the woods then. And uh, when we left the woods, it was very, very late. We were supposed to meet someone at 9 p.m. that night. And as we were walking out of the woods, um, it was, we were at least an hour late 
uh, past 9 p.m. But, to, you know, there's there's definitely time in there that I cannot account for. Mm-hmm. You you spoke to me and we can edit this part out if this doesn't fly with you, but you spoke about the dark times. Well, what are the dark times? You mean the, the darkness I've experienced in, in regards to this phenomenon? Yeah. Um, so this is relates to a series of events that um, started, boy, and I don't know how much we talked about this before. Did I talk much about uh, what I was calling my chessboard before? With right, you? yes, yeah. So it started with that, and, you know, I had some, some strange activity associated with that. And uh, over time, this led into me Oh boy, this, there's so much wound up in this. It's, it's a spider web, you know, it's very, very tangled. Um, so I, I read Mike Clellan's book, The Messengers, about uh, the owls. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Sure. Um, and in that book, there's a very kind of new age thing where, where a woman says, uh, I'd like to see an owl today. She just puts that out there. She says it out loud. And she, she says, every time she does, she sees an owl. And I thought, well, this is an interesting idea, but uh, I'm not an owl guy. So I'd finished, shortly after I finished uh, reading Mike's book, I'd gone into an antique store. I'd found a, and by the way, this is probably a week after me first telling the chessboard story on Where Did the Road Go? It's the first time I ever talked to Mike. And Mike's advice to me, I hadn't read his book yet. I had owned his book. I haven't even read it yet. And Mike's advice to me at the time was pull the threads. That's what he said to me. He said, Tim, pull the threads. Keep going with this stuff. So very interesting. Walked into an antique store, and I know this sounds jumbled, but it all ties together. I'll tie it all together. Saw a shelf full of owls. Picked up one that looked interesting to me. They were all, most of them were ceramic kind of painted owls. I don't care. And I, I wasn't really intending to collect owls anyway. That was kind of Mike's thing. But one very much appealed to me. I picked it up. It was a wooden carved owl. Now, a few days before this, I had decided I was, you know, so I'm writing all these historical Bigfoot books, and I'm just drawing Bigfoot left and right. I was kind of tired of drawing Bigfoot was looking for something else to illustrate. And I decided, oh, I'm going to illustrate the life of Merlin. Won't that be neat? You know, and, and uh, there's a book called the Vita Merlini, which is a, it's in public domain. I thought, well, that would be great. It's the life of Merlin. I can illustrate that. It's a little different than Bigfoot. Give me something else to work on. I don't have to write it. It already exists. So I decided, you know, come to that conclusion. I was going to do that. And uh, so I picked this owl up. I turn it over and there's a wizard face carved on the back of the owl. I was like, whoa, that's <laughs> kind of weird. Right. So, so this is mine. It was every owl on the shelf was a dollar. So, you know, when paid dollar, took that home. It's up on my shelf now. So then I'm in this place where I was, you know, playing chess for lack of a better word. And uh, so I put it out there. I said, well, I'm thinking, I don't want to necessarily see an owl. I'm going to put it out there. I want, I want to find antlers. I want to find antlers today. So I just, you know, I said out loud, kind of felt kind of foolish. I want to find antlers today. So I go about my way and I'm walking on the path and I see something white hanging from a tree off the path. And I'm looking at it and I thought someone had uh, left some trash in the park. I thought they had, uh, you know, maybe sometimes people don't feel like taking their diapers home with them or they clean up after their dog and they just leave the bag in the tree. I got very upset because I thought this was just a white bag hanging in the tree and I was going to have to, you know, take it home and dispose of it. And I walked up to it. And it wasn't a bag. It was the entire tail section of a barn owl, the whole tail. 
just kind of impaled on a very little uh, twig on this tree, the, the, the full tail section. So it's not like one feather fell out. This is the entire tail section of a barn owl, bright white. And uh, it's like, wow, I asked for antlers. I got owls anyway. Uh, within days of this, I was back in the same park. I was hiking and I, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I, I had this revelation. Merlin has a wild man phase. There's a, a time in Merlin's life where he's, uh, he gets very upset because there's this battle that he feels responsible for a lot of young men dying in. And he kind of goes off to the wilderness. And at this point, they say, this is his wild man stage. And it hits me that, you know, here I am tired of drawing Bigfoot, want to get away from the wild man for a minute. And I go to Merlin and he, he's a wild man anyway. And I, I'm hit with this kind of revelation right as I, right at the moment, this thought pops in my head. I hear the sound of something big coming through the trees. And right in front of me bursts out this barred owl. And not a barn owl, so it's a different kind of owl. This is a barred owl, a completely different kind of owl, so it's not what it left its tails there. And before this, I grew up on a farm. I have seen owls maybe three times in my life before this. In fact, I remember being kind of bummed out that we didn't have any owls in the barn. I was like, why? Well, we have a barn with no owls. I barely, you know, had seen an owl, you know, maybe, like I said, maybe two, three times in my life before this moment. So now this owl just bursts out right in front of me, right as I'm having this revelation and flies down the path ahead of me. Uh, wow, this is pretty incredible. So, you know, same park, time goes on a little bit. I start leaving food offerings. I wasn't asking for anything. And then one day I left alcohol offerings. A uh, little tiny little cork bottle of wine. And I left it in the hollow of a tree. There was uh, no way, uh, it was under a, a cairn of stones. So there's a cairn of stones kind of wedged into this tree. I found it that way. Very, very big, heavy stones. This is off of a path. So it's not on a path. Um, I don't know who or what, you know, put these stones there, but they're, you know, they're very, very heavy. I can't lift them out. And I dropped this this uh, little bottle of wine into the hollow of this tree underneath these stones. Um, I couldn't reach my hand in there. I, I think I, a kid could probably a little kid, you know, like a little toddler probably could have gotten their arm in there, but uh, I couldn't reach my hand in there. And uh, at this point I asked for a skull out loud. I said, I would like to find a skull today. Just said it out loud. And I walked on my way. And about 10 minutes later, I noticed a, in the, it's in a field in the same park. There's this circle of trees, maybe, maybe a half acre, three quarters of an acre uh, big, it's almost a perfect circle of trees. And I thought, wow, I've never been in there. I've never like going inside there. And I've been everywhere all over this park. It's my favorite place to hike previously. So I went in there and uh, there's a mound of stones in the middle of this. If this was in Ireland, ironically, this would be called a fairy fort. Um, but we, we, I'm told we do not have fairy forts in the United States. But this, uh, for, you know, like I said, if it was in Ireland, we'd call it a fairy fort. This would be uh, very much a place of interest for phenomenon uh, because there's a huge mound of stones in, in the middle of this, this, uh, you know, circle of trees. And I'm kind of making my way to the top of this mound and I start seeing little pieces of hair, little pieces of fur everywhere, little, just little tiny clumps of fur. I'm like, wow, I wonder what went on here. And eventually I look down and I see a very freshly 
killed uh, groundhog head is just the head has been removed and the jaw ripped off. So uh, I asked for a skull and I received a skull. And uh, I am not a fan of gore. I've collected bones and skulls my entire life and, and uh, I only take them if they're nice and clean. And so this was, like I said, it was, it was fresh. It was just, something had just ripped the head off of a groundhog. The body was nowhere to be found. It was just the head. And uh, I was kind of stunned and I, I backed out of there and kind of made my way, uh, you know, off. And uh, the, it was kind of a, you know, a dark thing and a shocking thing. And it took me by surprise. And I didn't go there for a few weeks. And when I did go the next few times, I didn't leave any offerings. Um, now I checked the next time I was there, the wine bottle was gone. And then the time after that I checked and it was back <laughs> in the hollow of the tree with the wine still in it. And then I checked the time after that and it was gone again. And ever, ever since it's been gone. Uh, you could, you could visually see where the wine was. You couldn't reach yeah, it, but you could keep an eye on it. Right. Yep, I couldn't reach it, but I could see it in in the in the hollow of the tree there. Uh, so, you know, going back, going again, uh, and I was—I guess I was freaked out. I guess I was like, I—I don't want to do this thing where I leave offerings anymore. I, for whatever reason, I stopped. And uh, the next time I went uh, after those few times uh, was with my son. And on this day, uh, well, so like I said, this is a tangled web. The night before I was doing a podcast with someone and we were talking about the small time monster stuff and we had brought up Seth Breedlove, who of course makes those movies uh, in, during the conversation. We had also mentioned that uh, messing with this stuff is sometimes like, like putting on the one ring in the Lord of the Rings movies and the, it kind of opens the eye of Sauron and it turns and, and looks at you when you start messing with it. The, so those two concepts we had, we had kind of brought up. Now I parked at, this is significant, a crossroads. It was actually named Crossroads, the parking lot where I parked with my son. And we went off on a little hike and uh, came around. And, and at some point my son stopped and he says, uh, he, he's in much better shape than me. So he's usually about 30 yards ahead of me. So I see him stop and I catch up to him and he says, is that a raccoon up there? And I said, yeah, it is. Let's take a different trail. And right as I said that, it started trotting towards us. And then I told him, I said, well, run. And then uh, I kind of took two steps running and, and kind of turned my head and saw this thing was running full force at us, like growling and snarling. And so I just told him to run. And uh, luckily, I carry a, a big old walking stick, which really is, answers the description of a wizard staff with me. And uh, this thing uh, came at me snarling and growling and, and I, I had one chance and I, to hit it. And I, I got, I don't know, probably through luck, not skill, I, I, I hit it. I probably broke its back with, with the first hit. Uh, it was rabid. Um, and uh, I went back, uh, found my son, caught up with my son and went back and called the park ranger. The park ranger showed up. His name is Breedlove on his tag. <laughs> um, 
he showed up at the you crossroads. Gotta, you gotta love that. <laughs> yeah. He showed up at the crossroads parking lot. And the first thing I said to my son, uh, jokingly, is, is uh, you know, my one regret is I, I didn't yell, you shall not pass before I brought my staff <laughs> down on the thing. So I made this Lord of the Rings reference without even thinking about it. <laughs> so then Ranger Breedlove shows up and uh, I realize that, you know, there's all these, this this synchronicity storm that surrounds this thing. And, uh, you know, I've told the story several times that people are like, oh, it's just a raccoon. Well, it's not just a raccoon when it's surrounded by all this stuff. And like I handled the raccoon, the raccoon wasn't the problem. It was all the, the stuff that surrounded it. And uh, as I'm reading, you know, about folklore and offerings and stuff, I, I did two big no, no's. I a, I stopped leaving offerings after starting and B I didn't take a gift that was left for me, which is a big, big no, no in folklore. Uh, if, if you ask for something in particular and then you're given it and you don't take it, that is a mighty, mighty offense. And uh, with everything that happened surrounding that, I just, I just got this overwhelmingly kind of sickly feeling like, like I messed up. I did something wrong. I broke the rules and uh, I was kind of sent a message. I, I, I really feel like as, as crazy as that sounds, I really feel like I was sent a message. Like you, you broke the rules, buddy. You messed up. And uh, it kept me out of there for a long time. Um, I went back, I want to say two times, three times since. Uh, the first time, no issue. The second time, I ended up with a tick embedded in my stomach. Had to get uh, antibiotics for Lyme. Um, I, in my adult life, I've probably gotten ticks two times. You know that I usually like if I go hiking with a group of people, they'll all come out with five ticks, and I'll come out with none. It's it's very very rare that I ever get ticks. Uh, but uh, I had one that was earlier in the summer. And then I had a friend a couple weeks back who, who asked, he'd never been, and he asked me to take him there hiking. And it was a nice day. And I thought, well, okay, I'll take you. And uh, along the way, I found a horseshoe that was uh, looped over a very low branch right, right by the trail, which um, it was a very nice day. And it felt very much like, uh, I don't know. I, you know, for whatever feelings are worth, it felt good, like to find this horseshoe, uh, almost like, a you know, we're, we're square now. Uh, mm-hmm. but I, you know, it's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to say for sure. I mean, I definitely put, uh, some caution into me regarding this stuff. Okay. So, you know, one of the things that I touch upon is toying with the idea that there seems to be some kind of, um, weight or curse surrounding humans that interact with the paranormal if they don't play by the rules, especially living on the land where these power spots are where the paranormal interacts and comes in and out at ease. And you're, you're kind of telling me that right now, right now by, you know, mentioning what you're saying regarding the fact that you didn't take this gift and you get this rabid moment with this crazy raccoon. Have you heard that from other witnesses that there seems to be this, you know, you don't play by their rules, you suffer? Well, I mean, I've read it in folklore again and again. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's an ongoing drumbeat, you know, in, in folklore. So, um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've heard stories of other witnesses who, who stop leaving offerings and then, you know, supposedly say it's Bigfoot, you know, and, um, I'm not sure what, you know, at this point, I just call them land whites or earth whites. It's some kind of 
I feel like it's some kind of earth spirit, whether that's Bigfoot too, you know, mm -hmm. Bigfoot is an earth spirit too. Maybe I kind of feel like it is, but you know, I, I can't say for sure. Um, but um, in any case, uh, the people who stop leaving offerings for Bigfoot often that's when they get, uh, and I call it offerings, they'll call it gifting. Uh, you know, that's when they get trouble around their house. So, you know, I've heard it in terms of that. And uh, I, I've read it in folklore, you know, hundreds of stories of, of very similar things happening. You break the rules and, and that's where uh, problems start. Even down to, I'm sure you've heard all the, the stories of people who uh, say they got screamed at in the woods and they were had been urinating. Mm -hmm. it, right in uh, dealing with this in, in the Norse folklore, it says always warn the earth spirits before you urinate and apologize afterwards. Uh, or you're going to have trouble. And, you know, a, a lot of these people who think it's a, it's a monkey in the woods say, oh, yes, well, you're just, you're marking their territory and they're getting upset. But boy, here's folklore dating back, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, if not thousands of years saying this, you know, warn them and apologize before and after you pee. Wow. No, I've never heard that. And as entrenched as I am in the Bigfoot world, um, that's never trickled down through the branches, but that, that I mean, excuse the pun, but uh, no, that's uh, that's I've never heard that before. Wow. Okay, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's it's you know again, it's it's this thing in folklore. So, you know, I just for me, like I said, being a folklore guy, I I know I broke the rules, you know, and I I, I have to wonder if that's not part of everything that happened there. If I wasn't being spanked a little bit, you know. Do you still pinch yourself by knowing that this folklore, the mythos, is a reality? I mean, here you are experiencing it, hearing about it every day. Your life is surrounded by the reality of mythology being factual. Do you still, because I do this, do you ever pinch yourself and say, come on, really? Yeah. I mean, oh. even, even though you hear it every day and you know better, are you still trying to bring yourself back to the mundane world of this doesn't exist? Yeah. Oh, constantly. Yeah. Constantly. And, you know, if you've heard our Site 7 shows where we talk about the lights, you know, and stuff, the, the, the further I get away, the, the more you'll hear me saying, like, I don't know, maybe it was something else in there, you know. And then, but at the time, you're, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was, it was weird lights. That's all, you know, I, I can't tell you for sure what it was, but it was, you know, very weird lights. But the, yeah, it's the same thing with this, like this folklore thing. It's like, man, I, like, it really kind of, it's stunning, you know, and it, and it stunned me at the time. It was like a, a punch in the gut. I think probably because my son was there with me too, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it, it was like really like just a punch in the gut. It's like, I didn't want, you know, I didn't want that. And, uh, but at the same time realizing like, like I broke the rules and I, a part of me is like, I know how like crazy this sounds when I'm saying it. Like, I know this sounds crazy. <laughs> but, you know, I can only report like the feelings I had and, and what happened, you know. Has this shifted? Um, how do I put this? I don't, has this shifted the closeness between you and certain friends and family in a way that just like, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be. I mean, have you have you been shocked at who cannot handle this and maybe lost some friendships over this? Um. I'm pretty selective about who I tell about it. I mean, I think, you know, there's certain people who who listen to my podcast who are they're probably like, "Wow, you know, I didn't I didn't know um but for the most part uh one second, excuse me. 
sorry, I'm getting over a cold, had to mute the mic there for a cough. But uh, for the most part, um, I think I'm sharing this with, with people who I feel like are mm-hmm. kind of safe to share it with. Mm-hmm. But uh, even that, sometimes I'm like, like, I, you know, I don't know. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, and, I, and, and I'm always using qualifiers. Um, it's, it's one of the reasons why I like talking to you, like whether it's by messenger mm-hmm. or, or otherwise, because I like, I see what you're experiencing, mm-hmm. you know, at, at Al Moon on a regular and it's, you know, it's different, but it's not unlike, you know, the kind of things I'm talking about. So it's, it's very, very nice to have someone I can just say, Hey, look, this happened mm-hmm. and, and just have someone go, yeah, okay. You know, and, mm-hmm. and not like, you know, well, it could have been this, 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 and this. <laughs> right, right. Trying to discount it or bring right. you back, bring you back out of Soren's world. Um, and I, it's, uh, the Lord of the Rings and Tolkien and the Eye of Soren, I brought that up a million times myself because it's, you know, it's entrenched in pop culture now. Uh, but, you know, this burden of wearing the ring is something else that I wanted to ask you about. Do you ever feel like this is a burden upon you to kind of carry this message? Um, maybe, maybe in as much as, as, like I said, you're, you're always dropping qualifiers. You're mm-hmm. always saying, you know, well, I know this sounds crazy, but this is what happened. And mm-hmm. here's, you know, like I said, a thousand years of folklore to back up what I'm saying. Like, you know, this is, I'm just another example in a long line of these stories. You know, I'm not, I'm not unique by any stretch, you know, uh, here's, you know, 15 other stories that, that describe the same thing, you know, some of them dating back to the middle ages, but, um, yeah, it's, and I mean, honestly, there's, there's some things I've never told people just because I know like this, this sounds just totally, you know, bat scat. And I can't even, I can't even tell this on a podcast because, you know, now it's just, it just seems too wacky. Um, so yeah, in that sense, I, I guess there is, it's, uh, it's, it's trying to remain, you know, I'm an author, you know, I, I host a podcast, I have to, you know, remain healthily skeptical even Mm -hmm. about my own experiences but i also try to get across like the feeling and the the truth of what i know happened you know and uh and that is really really difficult it's it's difficult for me to to sit there and and be an experiencer and also you know like try to try to uh relate other people's stuff as well right right I i mean you must be tempted to you know when you're doing an interview to interject and say oh my gosh i got that too you know and it's so tough to oh, back yeah. away and say, this is your story. I can't do that. Yeah. And, and a lot of times it's just like, you know, somebody will talk about, you know, like they'll have something and they'll wake up, they'll experience something like, and for some reason I just rolled over and went right back to sleep. Well, this is a very common thing. It is. I've absolutely experienced this. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, during the abduction things, I, I just rolled over and went to sleep. There's like no, no reason to that. Um, you know, people have talked about looking out their windows, seeing Bigfoot looking in on them while they're sleeping and just turning over and going right back to sleep, you know? Right, right. It's, it's a bizarre thing. And uh, I realized at some point I'm telling the same stories over and over again on the podcast and I've tried to limit myself from doing that. But yeah, it's absolutely. That's like when, when someone brings something up that just resonates, it's like, oh, 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 yeah, I've had that. You know, John Keel would write about um, not only his experiences, but he said that activity would start to spike when he would start to write about things. Do you find that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think anytime you pay attention to it, uh, I think a great example doesn't have to do with writing, but, uh, 
that big uh, Bigfoot museum they built in Georgia, uh, they've started to have a ton of Bigfoot sightings around it. They get tons of reports around it. And uh, of course, you, you build a temple to Bigfoot, you're going to see Bigfoot around it. It's just, to me, it's like, yeah, of course. Of course, you're getting Bigfoot sightings around it. You build a huge temple to Bigfoot. Wow, I didn't know that. That's that's yeah. also uh, something to follow up on. It, it, with your abduction experience, Timothy, is this something that you've researched in your own family on your mother or father's side or down the way to see how far that rabbit hole goes? Uh, we didn't talk too much about that kind of stuff in my family. I have a feeling my mother may have had some experiences because um, she was very, the two times uh, that there was something weird that happened around my mother, she was very matter of fact about it. Once she woke me up when I was eight years old, she said, do you want to see a UFO? <laughs> Took me outside and, and showed me a UFO. Uh, kind of amazing. And uh, another time there was a will-o'-the-wisp light uh, in, in the back of our farm I saw. And I said, Mom, what's that? And uh, she just very casually said, oh, that's, that's a will-o'-the-wisp. And just kind of, that was that. And, uh, and to the point where I thought it was a natural phenomenon for years. I didn't think it was anything you know, paranormal about it. She was so matter-of-fact about it that I thought it was a very, very natural uh, phenomenon. So that makes me wonder if she hadn't uh, had some kind of experiences. And um, beyond that, I don't know. You know, I was the youngest of six. My grandparents were very old uh, mm -hmm. when I was young and, and wouldn't have, uh, you know, known to ask about this stuff. They were all deceased by the time I, I started, you know, being deeply interested in it. Um, my son won't let me talk about it, but I, I believe he's uh, having similar experiences to, to me. Okay. That's when, they're his stories. He doesn't he want me to tell him. So. Sure, sure. I have the, I, I think you and my, me might be raising the same son. <laughs> <laughs> you said Will and the Wisp. So explain to people what that is. Oh, the Will and the Wisp. They're just the orb lights that people see, um, you know, often in the woods. Mm -hmm. This this was uh, moving kind of, kind of, uh, uh, hovering, gliding, I, I would say. Um, I didn't want, I wish now I would have stared at it for longer. Uh, again, my mother was, I, I watched it for a few minutes and my mother was so matter of fact about it. I just went inside. I was like, oh, okay. Must be nothing to, you know, must be nothing to worry about. I, I would have been, you know, eight, 10 years old, something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, just watched it kind of drift through we had a little grove down by our barn and it just kind of drifted through that. And then uh, I, I probably stopped watching it before it went away. I don't remember it going away. I probably just turned around and went in the house. Do you do a lot of audio recording at all in your sites, sites one through seven or however many sites you have? Do you, do you do a lot of audio recording? Site seven is a convenient uh, name and there's not one through six, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Clean up on aisle seven. Clean It'd be up cool if we had if we had seven sites, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I try to. Um, whenever I'm there, I try to run tape. Um, actually, I have recorders I leave out overnight, and I, I, uh, there was a Bigfoot witness. I was on an investigation there some time ago, and and I left it there um, for him to record at night. And uh, my one recorder, and I haven't picked it up, so I just need to go and pick it. So I have one I carry with me all the time, and then one I, I, you know, I don't mind leaving out. It's you know, it's a less expensive model. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think, I think, uh, audio is a big part. I, I love recording audio and I going through hours and hours is kind of boring, but, uh, mm -hmm. you can get some treasures. So describe a treasure. 
Uh, I've gotten what my friend describes as a conversation between uh, two deaf people or two people who sound like they're they're deaf at about four in the morning at site seven, uh, which, you know, no one should be there at that time. Um, you know, I'm not saying what it is or what it isn't, only that it, it sounds like a language to me. I can't determine what's being said. Um, uh, it's, it sounds within the range of normal human voices. It doesn't sound, you know, super deep or anything like that. But uh, it's it's very unusual. We've recorded uh, definitely some, unfortunately, I didn't have my recorder with me. My son and I got screamed at for about five minutes. It was horrifying. Uh, right during the day in a in Maryland along the Gunpowder um, Falls Creek and uh, just got screamed at and screamed at and screamed at. And uh, I, he got so mad at me. Now he's not a believer. He looked at me and he got mad. He said, are you happy now, dad? <laughs> <laughs> Bigfoot screaming at us. You happy now? <laughs> he got and, what you wanted. Yeah. And uh, I, I recorded that on my phone. That did not come out well at all, uh, which was kind of like my lesson to always carry a, an audio recorder with me. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, we, you know, we've had some other unknown sounds that we've got mostly at site seven. I haven't had too much success other mm -hmm. places. Uh, again, I haven't listened to this, uh, this other area where this, this, uh, witness on his property had seen, uh, multiple creatures. So maybe I got something on that, but I have to go pick up the recorder. I've been lazy about that. You know, one of the things that you and I've been talking about is sharing gifts, uh, anomalous gifts, we'll call them from the others and uh, working those on different property sites, i.e. you give me a bone and I give you a carnelian stone mm -hmm. uh, and seeing exactly what happens with that. Are you still interested in doing that? Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to want to try uh, to, to do that. I, I'm definitely going to give you one of the uh, white stones from the chessboard and uh, yeah, I think, one, I think one of the skulls. I think, I think it'll be okay because I think... Mm -hmm. I think I, I think regifting is okay. You know what I mean? Because I, I took the gift. You know what I mean? <laughs> that should I, be I, the one thing that's not okay, Timothy. <laughs> really? Okay? Well, never is okay, right? I mean, oh, 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 that's yeah. the one—the one human taboo. <laughs> oh, oh, gotcha. No, I mean, I mean, in the spirit of this, I think right, I think right. it'll be okay. I think I think it's not. I'm not breaking any rules. I've, I've All right. I sort of had to, a uh, you know, search in in, in uh, yeah. my heart on that, and I think it's okay. You know. Well, there's a, a lot that I want to talk to you about off the air regarding that, and uh, I look forward to doing that. Before we go, Strange Familiars, as you can find it on Podbean and iTunes, YouTube, where else are you located? Oh, my gosh, all the podcatchers. StrangeFamiliars.com, mm -hmm. we're always there, and all that contact information goes to me. So if, you're, if anybody wants to contact me, you can get me there. And you've got plenty of books out, and the latest book will be out when, and what's it called, and what's it about? Oh, boy. Uh, it's two volumes. It's called Where the Footprints End. It's Joshua Cutchin and myself, and we are tackling all of the weirdness. Well, maybe not all. We're talking, tackling as much of the weirdness associated with the Bigfoot phenomena as we can, from weird lights and UFOs to the woman in white phenomenon, which seems to pop up around Bigfoot to uh you know gifting disappearing evidence uh hoaxes we're covering hoaxes uh and all kinds of of strangeness that's you know kind of associated with the phenomenon so that's uh we have so much that it's going to be two i think two pretty thick volumes honestly there was no shortage of material and sometime in 2020 or sooner 
Josh seems very confident that we can get it out in 2019. I'm hopeful, but uh, I, you know, we'll see. It definitely, definitely 2020. Uh, hopefully by late 2019. And uh, you're a talented artist and musician. Is there a way people can get a hold of all your brilliant stuff? <laughs> well, I do illustrate all my books. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a two for one there. You get, get uh, my writing and my books. Um, find me on Amazon, Timothy mm-hmm. Renner, and just look it up. All my stuff's there. Or if you want signed copies, just, you know, find me through strangefamiliars.com. Uh, sometimes I put original art up on my Etsy store, which is Lost Grave. And I'm not sure how Etsy does theirs. I'm not sure if it's Etsy.com slash Lost Grave. I don't know. The link's at, at strangefamiliars.com. And, uh, you know, we do, I do t-shirts here and there and, and, uh, my music you can always find at Bandcamp, which is, uh, stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Okay. Timothy Renner, Strange Familiars. Hey, Timothy, hold off the line here. I appreciate you coming on Strange Brow Radio and, uh, you have a good night. Oh, thanks for having me. Again, that was Timothy Renner of Strange Familiars podcast. In the beginning, I said he was an author and I didn't even say the name of the books, so let me get this straight. My goodness. Bad form, bad form. Beyond the Seventh Gate. Bigfoot in Pennsylvania. Bigfoot, West Coast Wildman, And Don't Look Behind You. These are the four. And there, again, is a two-part series coming up. Look out for Timothy Renner's goodies. Go to Amazon. You can find these sweet babies all over the net. We just got a box of them. Timothy sent us an awesome care package with strange, familiar patches and buttons and postcards it's a lot and he's going to get something in return from us thank you again mr renner all right we just got back from what i would call the shoop troop barb shoop she used to be known as barb and gabby now it's barb and goldie that's barb shoop out in green water washington had an invite only camp out with about 15 other people saw the lights we saw the lights at Barb's invite out at Greenwater. Organic white lights. Also, what seemed like a request of a golf ball. Long story short, Barb Shoop's the real deal, and her group's the real deal, and we saw for ourselves. So, these lights, I'm telling you, get out and just go look for the lights in the woods. Go, go find a mountain and look up in the sky. We also saw some incredible stuff in the sky. Keep an open mind, folks. Keep an open mind. All right, that's the show. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back a week from today. We get it out there every Sunday. Go to iTunes. Go check out iTunes. I want you to hit subscribe. Go to Podbean. Hit subscribe. Every little like, every little help that you can put out on the keyboard and say, hello, howdy, like, review, subscribe, goes a long way. We got big plans for 2020. Can't get into that yet. But I'm telling you, it's coming up to Washington. Yep, we're going to make the move up to Washington here with the podcast. And it's going to be an interactive experience. That's all I can say. Anyway, again, thank you to Barb Shoop and the Barb Shoop Troop. Now I've got the Barb Shoop Droop because I hiked my butt off. (laughs) All right. You know the line. One, two, three. I'll see you in the trees.